Hi, welcome to the Brooks Online uh, Gathering. Uh, Muchi here. Honored, <laughs> excited that we could connect together in this way for this moment. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and meet me in the Song of Solomon. It's towards the beginning of our Bibles. That's where we're actually going to begin today, even though it's not where we're going to end. We're going to go from the Song of Solomon to the book of Acts, ending in 1 Corinthians, specifically chapter 13. So it's a lot of page turning, uh, screen swiping if you're looking at your device. And if you don't have a Bible and you don't have a device, that's okay. The words will be on the screen so that you could track through the text with us and we could track together. We are at the midpoint of our series, It Matters, where we have been navigating what does it look like to grab onto greater understanding and a pursuit of relational health and wholeness. Regardless of what relationships we have, there is the opportunity and the necessity of pursuing greater health and wholeness. Now, today we're going to be looking at a particular relational space that many of us find ourselves in, the space of being single. We are going to look at the relational space of singleness and the end game, the aim of today is to help us navigate this space well, to navigate this space with greater honesty with greater thoughtfulness and ultimately with greater health and if you aren't single this is not the opportunity to check out all right because even as we work through the text and some of the ideas that the text offers us what we should see is they should carry over to all of our relationships regardless of whether we are single or not and if you are single uh, somewhere in between you're dating moving towards hopefully the establishing of a meaningful and flourishing marriage then dial in all the more all right now let me go ahead and say this i hope this is not a fire hose type sermon even though it may feel like that and we really need to prepare for a long intro because right? we need to lay some significant groundwork leading into the text for today. So let me actually start here. You know, and I know that far too often as it relates to the space of singleness, it seems people have more advice to offer than really just offering presence and understanding of the real pain that's associated with singleness. There's real pain here. There's pain from the inside out where it's thoughts of crushing it. Am I worthy of it? There's real pain here. And I know that being married, it may feel, and there's some truth here that I am not able to understand fully the pain of the current circumstance. And I don't want to pretend to, but I do want to say this. I acknowledge it. All right. I acknowledge that there's real pain associated with a real circumstance. And that is not something that we need to speed past. There's real pain here. All right. Additionally, there's something that needs to be said. Singleness is not a curse that you bear. It is not a mark of shame. It is not a stigma of being less than, even if the world around us says otherwise. Singleness is not a 
curse you bear, a mark of shame, a stigma of being less than or situation, season or circumstance that you need to rush to move away from. Singleness is just a relational status with real challenges and real opportunities that the scriptures paint as a real gift. Now, to navigate that well, first and foremost, we have to see that. That is not something that we have to try and rush past, but there's opportunities that we could find in it that we could leverage and enjoy and utilize for good. No cap. All right. Furthermore, we have to understand that singleness was the status of Jesus in his earthly life. Think about that, that when you look at the earthly life of the savior of all humanity, he was a 33 year old single man when he died. Yet he modeled well what it looks like to receive this gift, to enjoy life fully and leverage it well in the status you find yourself and think about that. There's so many implications behind the singleness of Jesus. Yes, he has a bride, the church. We're going to get there, but we shouldn't move past the reality that in his earthly life, Jesus was a single male. Implications are far reaching, significant, the least of which is this, that Jesus died. Not having a significant other in an earthly sense, which means that he died without experiencing sexual intercourse. Yet, he lived a full life. Which means we need to, we need to recapture a more robust understanding of sex and sexuality as it relates to fullness of humanity. Because Jesus dying, never having Experience that means that expressions of sex are not the epitome of the human experience. All right. It doesn't mean that they aren't good. It just means that we need to have them in their right place. More on that next week. There's so many more implications tied to understanding the singleness of Christ. But it goes back to what I said earlier. It means that. If you find yourself in this space of singleness now, you are not cursed, okay? There's zero to be ashamed of, regardless of how others may make you feel. There is an opportunity and an experience in front of us to receive the gift that God gives us, to enjoy the gifts that God gives us, to utilize the gifts that God gives us wherever we are. Now, this is not the sermon where it's one, two, three, four, five, steps one through five, you know, do these things and then you're gonna get a boo tomorrow. That is not this message, all right? <laughs> it may happen, you may be like, oh, I'm gonna do that and tomorrow, boo, what just happened? But that is not the aim, nor is this the message where it's, 
you know, you need to do these things to become the person who you're looking for is looking for. That is not the aim. Although that is a superior mindset to adopt. And it is rooted in a question that Andy Stanley, pastor and leader, posed in the book, uh, The New Rules for Sex, Love and Dating. I think it's a great book. Grab it. Uh, another great book that is worth grabbing is The Mingling of Souls by Matt Chandler and Jared Wilson. Grab that, too. But the question that Andy Stanley does pose, and I think it's a very relevant and necessary question is, he says, are you becoming or are you the person who you're looking for is looking for? Fair question. We're actually going to end there and some of the particulars that that question entails. But this message isn't even primarily that. This is to help us to navigate what is often a hard, hard and hurtful season well. That is, that is this, that is this. And to do that, the starting point of navigating well is not just grabbing onto the singleness of Jesus, but it's grabbing onto a truth that is seen from cover to cover. The truth is this, that everything God has called me to be as a husband or a wife, he has first called me to be as a man or a woman after his own heart. Everything God has called me to be as a man and, or as a husband, as a wife, he has first called me, first and foremost called me to be as a man or a woman after his own heart. That all of what we look at regarding a healthy husband or a healthy wife, those aren't things that you stumble into. Those are reflections of individual health. We know this. We know that relationships are only as healthy as the individuals within them. And what God does is he doesn't put this picture out there and says, you know, you just kind of stumble into this. He says, no, like, just pursue me. Pursue me. That's the truth to cling to is that even if I'm after that, everything God's called me to be as that, he's first called me to be as a man or a woman after his own heart. We cling to that truth and it creates a particular application, a particular action. Here's the action. That we would give ourselves fully to the plan of God in our lives at the moment. All right? You take the singleness of Jesus. You take this truth of God's calling and it creates this action that we are to give ourselves fully to the revealed plan of God for our lives at this present moment when you search the scriptures what we see is there's some specific dynamics and aspects to reveal plan of God, but there's some general aspects that carry over from season to season, moment to moment, status to status. And the, the aspects that carry over from season to season, moment to moment, status to status, are, is this, that you exist. God's plan for your life, God's plan for my life, no matter what season we find ourselves in, is that we would know him and enjoy him while making him him known that is a plan of God for your life knowing him enjoying him and making him known and when we give ourselves over to that what starts to happen is we start to move away from discontentment we start to move away from the things that grieve us we start to move away from even grieve grieving the things we don't have and we gravitate towards what we do and the opportunities that we do have. Now, 
the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, to me, it starts to reflect the first part of that call to action, knowing and enjoying God. And so we're going to start there, but then we're going to get to Acts, and we're going to deal with the back part of that call to action, making him known. And then we're going to close with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which does, I think, deal with that question of even how we're supposed to mature in the moment and the season that we're in. Well, I told you it was a long intro. I'm not a <laughs> It's a song of Solomon. There's actually three declarations here, and then we'll take them bit by bit. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16, reads like this. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Song of Solomon 6, verse 3, reads like this. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Um, Song of Solomon, verse se- chapter 7, verse 10, reads like this. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. God's revealed plan for our lives in this moment is knowing and enjoying him while making him known. That is the plan of God for your life in this moment at all times. Knowing and enjoying him while making him known. Knowing and enjoying is relational language. There's relational depth here. And we have spent the first part of this series making a case that the foundation, the baseline for relationships and relational health is friendship. It is friendship rooted in emotional maturity, emotional health, guided by truth and love. That is a baseline for all relationships. And so even this relational language that we we get from knowing and enjoying God, let's not divorce it from that. Just just to remind, let's not divorce it from the essence of friendship and an experience of emotional maturity and health guided by truth and love. It's relational language. And when you get to the Song of Solomon, what you get is this collision of relational intimacy. You get this portrayal of intimacy and relational depth that is associated specifically in the context of marriage. Now, the relational depth that's associated in the context of marriage, it doesn't mean that there's not relational depth associated in the context of like other relationships, and we'll see that. But what's fascinating is as you get these, these this collision and this picture that's being painted all this poetic language that's coming out, what we see is that there's a core of relationships that's necessary for us to understand. There's a type of relational depth that at its core involves belonging. It involves being wanted and receiving that affection and desire causing you to express it in a way that another person receives it as well. It's belonging that shows up as shared mutual affections and shared and expressed mutual love. That is what is at the center of the Song of Solomon, this deep sense of affection that is shared Mutual love being shared and expressed that can be summarized as belonging to people belonging to each other. All right. Now, 
What's fascinating is when you look at those three declarations, you get to see different aspects of belonging that are critical for pulling us forward in knowing and enjoying God and honestly experiencing health in our relationships as well. Now, those declarations are made by the woman. They're made in relation to her beloved. Now, in these declarations made by the woman, you have similar verbiage that shows up. You have my beloved, you have I am, and you have mine. That's also relational language. However, there's a subtlety in how those words are arranged that we may have picked up on as I was reading. And that subtlety is significant because it shows that there's particular aspects that are being emphasized within the declarations. Furthermore, there's some surrounding circumstances that built out the declarations themselves. Let's start with the first one. The first one says, my beloved is mine and I am his. Song of Solomon 2.16. Now, notice the arrangement. My beloved is mine and I am his. The surrounding circumstances are in chapter two, you have difficulty and challenge. You have this this, this force that is trying to hinder this experience of love and relational depth so much so that she says in Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 15, catch for us the small foxes, the small foxes that will come and ruin our vineyard while they're in full bloom. And so right after that, that appeal towards attentiveness to look at the things that will ruin intimacy, you get this declaration being made. And what is being emphasized is that she is able to possess him. She is able to possess him. That through the difficulty and the challenge, she's able to take hold of the significant relationship. The emphasis is on her possession of him. Now we know how that feels. We know how it feels to get something that you want, to gain something that you've been chasing after, even in the midst of difficulty. And we know how it feels to gain something that you haven't been chasing after in the midst of difficulty. You just like it a lot. I mean, we just came off of Christmas season where all of us, many of us, I said, oh, that's not true. Many of us, we got gifts that were good and there was a giddiness that bubbled up in our souls. Some of us got those gifts and we've already re-gifted them. You know, this may be a little traumatizing for you, but it's okay. But when we receive something that we've been wanting, there's a giddiness that happens in us. She is giddy. The emphasis is on the fact that she has gotten what she's been waiting for. She has secured the bag. <laughs> she's gotten the relationship and is doing something deep in her soul. But there's, other, there's another declaration, right? The second declaration, uh, chapter six, verse three, it reads like this. I am my beloved and my beloved is Mine. Notice the shift there in the language. Notice the shift. The beloved is possessing her. That's what's being emphasized. What's being emphasized is the way that the beloved possesses her. Now, what's fascinating is the surrounding circumstances of this is that she has been like 
working through this season of silence and separation of distance. And as she's working through this season of silence, separation, and distance, she starts to talk about just the greatness of her beloved. And there's a longing that's taking place in her heart. And that longing is moving her to meditate and reflect on the fact that her beloved actually is a relationship with her, not just that she's in relationship with her beloved. Now, let me build that out a little bit. If you've ever been in a relationship, friendship or otherwise, that is deep to you, you know there's moments where it may even be random where you just pause and you're like, man, they're really in a relationship with me. <laughs> when you just stop to think about somebody that you care about and just the greatness of who they are, like all the stuff that just makes them awesome and amazing. You're just like, man, like, wow, you're in a relationship with me. And it does something to you. It, it, it settles you and it, and it makes you have this feeling of significance, not in a way where it becomes the source, but in a way where it stirs what should be true that you matter. Now, if you don't have that feeling, uh, frequently or at all, there may be a source of arrogance where you feel like you're the gift always. That's a problem. That's a problem. But here, the emphasis is, wow, look at who I'm possessed by. There's more, there's more here, though. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10, it, re it reads like this. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. This declaration Notice, notice what's being emphasized, what's being emphasized here is both the I'm being possessed by my beloved, but it's also the desire the beloved has for her. Now the surrounding circumstances build this out. Chapter six, the back half and the beginning of chapter seven, you have the beloved describing how he feels about her. You have this full out disclosure of how he cares about her, how he sees her and how he wants her. She's wanted, she's desired. And it leads to this statement of, wow, he wants me. And we know there is something uniquely different when we feel wanted. It's just different. It's different. And she's acknowledging that. Find you. It's like those memes. Find you someone who looks at you the same way like Biden looked at Obama or everybody looks at Chris Pratt or Beyonce looked at LeBron, which is another sermon for another day. But like it finds you somebody who just looks at you with eyes that reflect the heart that they want you, that they desire you. She is epitomizing that. Now, there's, there's a lot here, but one of the simple truths that just comes out from just looking at just the way these declarations of belonging are showing up within their relationship is that there's a variety of seasons and circumstances, situations that exist that affect how we experience a relationship. We know that, that seasons and situations in life affect how we experience some of the particulars of the relationships we're in. That's a good thing. 
That means that we should constantly be confronted with how is this current season and circumstance going to affect me in a way that pushes me towards intimacy with God, not pulls me away from it, that we would know and enjoy him. But there's an even more decisive truth that should be brought to bear on this text and on these declarations. Now, that's seen through Jesus's words in John chapter five. In John chapter five, Jesus actually rebuking people, the Pharisees in particular. He says that you search the scriptures looking for life when it is them that bear witness about me, which means that every single page in the Bible tells the story of the greatness of Jesus, who God is, what God has offered and how he wants to relate to us, which means with this book and these declarations, these are statements of how God wants you. These are statements of God wants me. And if we were listening, we're like, man, that's really good. I can't wait to find somebody like that. Yes, that is good. That is something that we should hold up and say, this is a worthy pursuit. This is somebody that you should be pursuing. Somebody who desires you like that and you should hold out hope for that. Wait, well, absolutely. But that is not the primary. The primary is to see these declarations as statements of how God wants you and how God wants me. It is to see the truth that what I am desiring ultimately in a significant other is what Jesus wants to meet with me and provide for me fully and personally through relationship. What I'm desiring from a significant other, Jesus wants to be for me personally and fully. That is the song of Solomon in a nutshell. That is the scriptures. That is what it means to know and enjoy God. And I understand that there are certain seasons and circumstances where that doesn't feel as good and it doesn't feel as true. But that's when we ask honest questions. We ask honest questions about our own heart and we ask honest questions about the God who is God. If that is true, if it is true that you want me to know and enjoy you, if it is true that that is the desire of your heart to move in a way of loving pursuit towards me and to pull me into this depth, this idea of belonging, this experience of affection and love, if that is true, the God, we have to do work and I need to ask some questions. And some questions I think we can ask first is, Jesus, in this season of life, what do you want for me? The next question I think we could ask is, Jesus, in this season of life, what do I want from you? And then the last question we could ask is, Jesus, in this season of life, what do you want from me? Now, when we start to engage with those questions, it actually moves us to experience that first part of God's plan to know and enjoy him well. But it also moves us to express the back half of that plan to make God know. Now, this is Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, it really builds out particulars of making God known that I think should bear weight specifically if we find ourselves in a single space. Now, read with me Acts chapter 20, verse 22 through 24. It reads like this. And now behold, 
This is Paul talking. I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Man, there's so much in here that just reflects the weight of that latter part of God's plan, which is that we would make him known. That the greatness of the God who is, would be seen and experienced all across the world because of our intentionality with our lives and our intentionality with the seasons that we're in, that we would know and enjoy him while making him known. Paul is modeling that in a great way, but as Paul is modeling that in Acts 20, there's a lot of particulars that will help us model it well for us, regardless of what we find ourselves in, but specifically if we're in a space where we are single and we have a different degree of freedom. That means we could get up without considering people in a particular way. All right. So there's a different degree of freedom. Now, within that different degree of freedom, we have the opportunity to express a unique experience of ambition. Ambition is often a dirty word associated with Christianity because we only look at it from a worldly, selfish standpoint. But there is such a thing as godly ambition. And Paul is modeling it here. That phrase constrained by the spirit. My conscience is bound by God himself to go to a particular place and accomplish a particular work testifying to the grace of God. I'm constrained, I'm bound, I have ambition that is driving me regarding the plan of God for my life. Now, Paul speaks in this way often. He speaks in this specifically in Romans chapter 9 where he says, I'm, I'm so ambitious about the work of God. I'm even ambitious about my own people, people in my own cultural story that they would know God so much so that I would even cast myself off from Christianity. I would forsake my faith for them to know Christ. I want them. I'm ambitious for them. He keeps, he keeps going. When you, when you get to um, Romans chapter 15, he's talking about, like, I have made it my aim and my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not named rather than to build on another man's foundation. He is ambitious, not just about those who are in his cultural story and location knowing Christ. He is ambitious about anybody who doesn't have access to the good news of Jesus. He, he has this godly ambition that is driving him because it's rooted in the greatness of God and the work he's calling us to. That's why he says, I, I don't consider my life anything. Even if I die, fulfilling the work of God is worth my life. And you could say that with a different level of certainty and uniqueness 
when you are single. And that is to be celebrated and praised. And Paul highlights this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where he talks about the gift of singleness. And he says, man, actually, I prefer that people were like you, like him, single. And the reason he says that is because there's a different level of freedom and there's a different level of opportunity. And specifically with the context that they were in, where they were being persecuted, he would say it's a lot easier to stand firm when you're not worried about your family being tossed to the lions. Now that doesn't mean that one is better than the other. That just reveals, again, that there's unique opportunities, regardless of what relational status we're in, that provide an opportunity to express godly ambition well. There's more here. There's a unique expression of godly ambition that you have. Paul says, my race, my course, my ministry. And you can say the same. The signature of God is on your soul in a unique way. Paul had this unique grace on him to reach the Gentiles. People who didn't have access, that didn't grow up in a Jewish cultural location. And he had unique grace to reach them. You have unique grace on your life. There is something that only you can do. And in this space, if you're single, that is the perfect opportunity to discover it and to give yourself over fully to it. Because there's a different level of freedom. You are tied to the imagination of God. Do you know that? That within God's imagination, he sees you and he sees me and he says, I am thinking about how I can uniquely express my greatness and my goodness through their story and the situations that they find themselves in. Where you are is perfect to know, enjoy God and make him known and there's a unique way that you could experience it now that you won't be able to later. Because circumstances and situations, even if they seem similar as they repeat themselves, we know that they're different because we change and the world changes. Come on. There's grace here. I want to close with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, <laughs> we've heard this before, maybe, but... It's worth saying and reading for us. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong doing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believe all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. The reason why this is the place we close, a worthy place to close, is because at the core of making God known is growing and maturing in love. It's growing and maturing in love. That is the primary reason that if we are going to make him known, we grow and mature in what we just read. Love is patient. Love adjusts adjust its pace for the sake of another person. That's love. Love is not resentful. Love 
willingly and actively moves to choose forgiveness. Love doesn't keep receipts of wrongdoing. Rather, it moves in an active, intentional way towards forgiveness. It's not resentful. And might I say, if we can master those things in our singleness, it actually will make us better husbands and wives. Those things in particular. More here, but I don't want to. I just stay in here. But when we look at this, love is this decisive comprehensive affection that moves us towards action and all of what we read shows us that love is war because that ain't easy that ain't easy but it is the thing that we mature in not by forcing ourselves to love but by living under the fountain of God's love because before love is before love is an emotion or affection that we have or feel or an action that we even move to take love is a person we encounter read with me Jesus is patient and kind Jesus does not envy or boast Jesus is not arrogant or rude Jesus does not insist on his own way in an unhealthy sense Jesus is not irritable or resentful Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing praise God for that but Jesus rejoices with the truth Jesus bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things Jesus never Ends. Jesus, Jesus, love is primarily a person we encounter and secondarily an emotion or action that we take. And we grow in this by just resting it and receiving Jesus. That he wants to pour out that relationally with us as we know and enjoy him. Now listen to me. When I said earlier that everything we desire from a significant other, Jesus wants to meet us and provide for us in a full personal way think about this in this context you heard all of that love is patient love is kind it's not could you picture being in a relationship with somebody who does not have these attributes or is unwilling to pursue and grow in these attributes you don't want that we don't want that of course not we want relationship with people who have all of that we want relationship with people who are we want relationship with people who are kind. We want relationship with people who are not envious. We want relationship with people who are not boastful because they're humble. We want relationship with people like that in meaningful ways where we're belonging and there's depth that we're able to experience this affectionate, sustained way where this is unique intimacy where we are desired and we desire them where we can say that I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. We want that because God made us to want him. I can't say that enough. We want it because God made us that way so that we would ultimately want and experience him. And we experience him in relationship with others. There's pain. There's pain. I know it. And I, I don't have the power to change your circumstance or situation. There's pain. But I will say this. In the midst of pain, there's opportunity. And we can, if we're courageous enough and thoughtful enough, move in a way where we belong well, 
to others in community that sets us up for a future that we're waiting for that may not be guaranteed to us, but not experience it, it doesn't mean that we're less than. It just means that God has a different story that he's writing in and through us. And if I could close with a caution, please hear me. Do not, do not settle for less than this in a relationship. If somebody isn't actively and significantly modeling this type of love and they are unwilling to grow or pursue this type of love, they are not worthy of you or your I do. Do you hear me? If they are not displaying this in significant ways, sustained ways, and they are not willing to grow in it, and they are not worthy of you or your I do. But there is somebody who is worthy of that, and that is Christ. And you and I have the opportunity every day to say I do to him. And when we do, it doesn't eliminate pain or difficulty or challenge. It just gives us a different grid to navigate through it all. Well, thoughtfully, honestly, and with health. Would you pray with me? God, to that end, we ask for help. Um, we know that um, difficulty and challenge clouds your greatness. And we're all across the map. <laughs> Even those of us that are single are all across the map. Some of us are, are hearing that and we're like, yes, that resonates with me because that's where I'm at. And some of us are hearing that and are like, man, that, that doesn't resonate with me, but I get it. We're all across the map, but this is the gift that your plan for us is to know and enjoy you while making you know would we give ourselves fully over to that wherever we find ourselves. And by doing so, would we experience different depth to the reality of our mutual belonging, that we are yours and you are ours. And would that spill over into the way that we relate to each other, that there's safety and security in the context of community that we could say to others, I am yours and you are mine. And if that grows into a significant relationship with another person in the context of marriage, praise God, we cherish it. We cherish it, not idolize it. Because wherever we find ourselves at, there's beautiful personal work to be done. And there's an opportunity to know you deeply, enjoy you truly, and make you known as we mature in love. Be with us, O oh God. In your name we pray. Amen.